from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody out there entangled in the interwebs? We're back at Jake's Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. It's Wednesday night. You know what that means down here? Bingo night. I was thinking trivia night, but that's not right. Uh, Ross Hipster's glasses, Martin. We sent him to Los Angeles to cover Lakers media day. He has not made it back yet, so we'll get a report from him hopefully next week. With me as always, though, making his way all the way down here from Thornton, the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? Um, Ross, if you're listening, I was listening to some of our old podcasts, and um, there's one where you're rapping right at the beginning of one, and it's amazing. You should go listen to that one again. He has some flow. Yeah, it was a very poor impression of uh, more money, more problems. But uh, yeah, very good. Can continue on there. Very good. And that's all I wanted to say, literally. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's a, would you like me to stop talking? Should I go into the other stuff now? No. no. Okay. Be, be, we'll, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us tonight, we have Harrison Wynn from bsndenver.com. Harrison, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm actually really happy you had me on after Chris Dempsey. I'm uh, sorry, Christopher Dempsey yeah, and Jesus. Uh, Matt Moore. It's going to be really easy to follow them, all their rumors and uh, hot takes. Definitely. Real simple. And also joining us is Adam Mates from DenverStiffs.com, Nylon Calculus, and HP Basketball. I'm so so happy that you got that right for the first time. That was in your impressive. Life. Was that right? That, that was really impressive, good. man. Wow, it is impressive. But uh, less impressive is that you introduced BSN before Denver Stiffs. What Hang is on. this? I want to <laughs> get a round of applause for my uh, pronunciation of Adam's name. It's taken him a year, yeah, but he finally got it. Those Rosetta Stone <laughs> CDs really paid off. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, guys, we have a lot to discuss. There's uh, Nuggets Media Day happened. Training cap has happened, or happening, I guess. Nuggets signed a new player. We'll get into all that. But in the meantime, what have, what have you fine folks been up to the last couple of days, weeks? Anything new? Just been uh, driving down to Colorado Springs, hour and a half each way, and uh, spending more time in the car than actually watching basketball. So did it's you, been a solid week so far. Did you drive today? No, I didn't. So you haven't driven down. I've been passenger both times. <laughs> he did drive. We met. We met uh, off of I twenty five in Arapaho at a place that apparently Harrison hates. Yes, that we can't talk about on the podcast. What? We can't do that. <laughs> we were going to be. I met him at the in the parking lot at Twin Peaks off of Arapaho and I twenty five. Twin Harrison Peaks. Said, Harrison said we can meet there as long as we don't have to go inside. Not a, not a fan. I've never been there, but one of my good buddies told me a story about it once. And it just has totally turned me off in the place. It's like a classy Hooters, except they have a really good TV setup. Apparently, the worst food, the worst service, the worst drinks. So I have zero desire to ever go there. I think the food's actually all right. I've gotten the fish tacos a few times. I ran into Ty Lawson there once. Surprise, That's surprise. not surprising That's at all. Interesting. Yeah. What, was he hammered? No, I actually didn't see him drink at all. He was drinking waters when I saw him. And that was a couple years ago. He's probably trying to sober up for the drive home, am I right? <laughs> you know, when you were talking about fish tacos, you just reminded me of that restaurant in Phoenix that I saw called The Pink Taco. That's a popular chain that's been around a little bit. I had, I had no idea. I, it didn't make me think of tacos, but... Yeah. 
I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank. I don't know if you guys know this, but season opened, Ashton Kutcher, one of the guest sharks, and he mouthed off to Mr. Wonderful, which I found to be both surprising and terrifying because Mr. Wonderful is worth like $4.5 billion or something. Isn't Ashton Kutcher like a, a big investor, though? Didn't he invest in... There's some company he's a part of, right? Vox Media. Is that it? Yes, that's one, that's <laughs> so one of his companies. he's my boss. I should probably know that then. Huh? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry about that, boss. I, I apologize, Mr. Kutcher. I thought he invested in pumpkin futures. Write some larger checks, Kutcher. <laughs> you cheap bastard. Yeah, actually, what the hell? <laughs> Out <awful>. here grinding. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted. I was looking at a picture of a beaten-up Jason London, so I'm going to. I'm telling you, every time Jeff has his laptop, he gets distracted <laughs> by the internet. Gets I don't know. I don't know. I just deep, deep inside the internet. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you for being with us. And uh, thank you, uh, Harrison. You were with us uh, at uh, Media Day. I was. Uh, was th- this was your first Media Day experience? This was my first Media Day experience. Um, really excited for the season. Be there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, first impressions of Media Day. Well, this is why we don't let Jeff run the show, because he skipped right over the first part of the show already. <laughs> oh, what, what, what were we going to do? Oh, so yeah. Do we want to go back, or do we want to keep okay. talking about Media Harrison, Day? Harrison, hold that thought. <laughs> hold that thought. Breaking news. <laughs> According to Christopher, don't call me Chris Dempsey, the Nuggets have signed a one-year deal with Mile High Mike Miller. Magic Mike Miller? Magic Mike. That's oh, a God. way better name. Magic Mike <laughs> Magic. Miller. See? That can be the new Denver Sifts uh, Photoshop Friday, Magical oh, Mike Miller. Man, I'm already on it. That's great. I'll have to, I'll have <laughs> yeah, to give dude. a little hat tip to you guys, but that, that's definitely it. Yeah, you can give the hat tip to me. That's going to create some pretty epic Photoshops. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be, yeah. be good. Do you guys Photoshop? I mean, I can. I'm not saying I'm good at it. But. <laughs> Sometimes being bad at Photoshop is better than being good at it, though. You probably gave me like an afternoon. I could probably get that done. <laughs> there you, go. you need to reach out to Jordan White. He is a Photoshop pro. Yes, yeah. he is. He a is lot good. of things that you probably don't necessarily want to see, he creates. <laughs> it's very <Which> true. <laughs> I always wanted to create a Photoshop of Matt Moore, and I can't remember what the idea was behind it, but it was a good idea. Hmm. And once again, I'll think of it huh. like mid-season. <laughs> so. Anyway, all right. Mike Miller signs with the Nuggets. What do you guys think of this signing? Um, I, I know just based off Twitter, talking on there today, a lot of people are saying, this is a great signing if it happened eight years ago, if it happened five years ago. Is he going to be the starting shooting card for the Nuggets? I had some people ask me that question. I think obviously Mike Miller is signed to be an end-of-the-bench guy as, a, as a, you know, an assistant coach of sorts for this team, but what do you guys think of, of Mike Miller signing with the Nuggets? I mean, my thought is Mike Miller's not signed here to – really play he's signed here to be a mentor he's signed here to be a coach he's signed here to be a good example for the younger guys on this roster and for those reasons i think it's a slam dunk the guy they're gonna probably have to let go is eric green and frankly i think you could find 10 guys just as good as eric green in the d league so i don't think it's a big loss at all and i'm all for it Anybody that's played, you know, organized basketball in, in any kind of competi- competitive setting where you're with a group of guys for a long time knows that it can take one guy that can really, really change the culture or change the work ethic or, or just kind of change the way that you go about your business. It's, it's, and I think Mike Miller, there was an awesome article I, uh, on Grantland about him that just kind of talked about how he can connect with everybody on the team, everybody, different, uh, you know, walks of life. But then also that he's just a guy that he, he kind of has that in his brain where he knows when a guy needs to come to the gym early, when he needs to stay late, when he needs to watch some film. So I think 
you know, that's the value of Mike Miller, and I think that's incredibly valuable. It's a lot more valuable than what, uh, you know, any other signing or, or uh, taking a flyer on one of these young guys. I think having him there and pushing guys like Moutier and Barton to stay late and get extra shots up, it's going to be huge. Uh, I'm really curious to see what the terms are of this contract, um, but uh, on its face, it's good. What do you think, Nate? The last I saw it was a one-year, $24 million deal. So. <laughs> Amazing. That's a steal. The Nuggets are all of a sudden steal. in the luxury tax. <laughs> what do you think of the um, signing, Nate? I like it. I mean, for the same reason Adam, Adam pointed out. I mean, guys that I talked to uh, at Summer League, even dating back to last year when the Nuggets flirted with Mike Miller, and even talking to some of the Nuggets people about Mike Miller, I mean, they're excited for the fact that you know he is the guy that comes early, stays late, that he'll you know pull guys in and kind of – you know, whisper the secrets of the trade to them. And I don't think you can ever have enough veterans on a team, especially when you have really young guys, that these guys can just hopefully use as a sponge. And we heard it today from Jameer Nelson when I, you know, kind of fumbled around and asked him about Moutier, and he said, hey, you know, my job is not to hold Moutier's hand. If he wants to come to me and ask me stuff, that's fine. But, you know, I'm not reaching out to him. And to me, Mike Miller, just watching some interviews with him, not I haven't ever talked to him before, but he just seems like a guy that might actually go up to guys and say, hey, Will Barton, let's have a, a three-point shooting contest after practice. 100 bucks a ball, whoever makes him. Or I don't know. I don't know how he operates. But I like it for that regard. If the Nuggets were signing him to be the primary backup or a starter, they're in deep trouble. If he, if he sees a floor a lot this season, they're in even deeper trouble. So I like it for the fact that, that he is kind of that you know, player-coach role and if the guys use him as a sponge and absorb as much as they can off of him, I think it's a home run. And like Harrison said, you know, I like Eric Green. He's a great guy, but at the same time, you can find another guy like that. I don't think they're going to cut Eric Green and he's going to go win an MVP for, you know, the New York Knicks or the New Jersey Nets or Brooklyn Nets, whoever they are. Well, this is the Nuggets really have not had many end of bench veterans. Um, in their recent history or in their entire history. They, they really haven't really had that guy. And I think it's always valuable to have the guy who can just take you aside and say, listen, this is what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do. Uh, when you see that guy over there, you need to do this, all that stuff. All that stuff is really valuable because it's, it's good coming from someone who's been in the league for as long as he has. I'm all for it on, on that basis alone. It's not about him playing. We're all of the same mind. It is just about character. It really is all about character and building that, especially with a young team, building that um, kind of relationship with a guy like him and who can maybe not necessarily tell you everything about the NBA but give you some kind of wizened example because it seems to be really valuable in the NBA. That sort of thing, more than any other league, the NBA really needs guys like Mike Miller. Um, you I was know, stoked when Chauncey they brought in like Al that. Harrington last year. Yeah, Al Harrington came in as a coach, and it was great. You know, I, I loved it. I loved it when Al Harrington was here before, but it was it was good to have that kind of presence on the team. And I'm all, I'm all for it. And how many times have we heard Conley in the last uh, week or so talk about how habits are formed? You mentioned character, but it's character, but it's also habits. And he says the first couple years in the league really determine what your work ethic is going to be and what your habits are going to be. So I, I know this is Conley's way of saying, I know that Mike Miller is a guy that stays late. He comes in early. He just loves to get shooting competitions going. So I know that he really wants to build that habit. And even I asked Conley last season, just, just talking to him casually, you know, what do you value about development? And he said teammates. 
know, t he felt that teammates were really important to development of younger guys. So I think this hits in that light. And I don't know if you guys know this. Me and Mike Miller have the same tattoo. We both have a Tree of Life tattoo. Wow, you should really talk to him about that. I'm going to show him that Tomorrow. I'm going to embarrass the shit out of myself, but it's going to be awesome. But let me tell you <laughs> another reason why and we signed... to bring up his tattoos. <laughs> well, let me tell you another reason why we signed Mike Miller. I asked Coach Malone at Media Day, who's the leader of this team, who's been stepping up, and he said Jameer Nelson, and then he said Emmanuel Moutier, a 19-year-old rookie, was the second guy he named off. So, I mean, we know how much of a how there's been no leaders on this team in the last couple of years. So that's another huge reason why he's here. But if you read an overrated, underrated column that Adam wrote the other day, leadership, talking about it, overrated, I believe. <laughs> that's definitely not the, talk, the, the takeaway. The, the, and <laughs> not actually, exactly. I want to say this about leadership because I do find it. I'm no, I'm no leadership guru here, but I think uh, Jameer really downplayed the leadership questions that were asked to him, right? And he said, you know, if Moutier wants to come to me, you know, I'll go at and I think we have this vision of, of leadership in sports um, where we project onto players that they're like standing on the aircraft hangar and we're giving this speech and all of a sudden everybody's fired up and jumping twice high. Leadership is really 364 days out of the year. It's a lot more boring and dull and it's just showing up early and, and like I said, teaching habits and pushing guys and, and that kind of stuff. So it's not always just the rah-rah speeches and, and jumping through hoops. Well, the, the important thing to remember is that leadership is generally, in the NBA, it's the guy that allows the coach to coach. Um, Tim Duncan, the reason the Spurs work is because Tim Duncan allow, allows Greg Popovich to be Greg Popovich. 100%. Great point. If there wasn't a Tim Duncan on that team, Greg Popovich would be a horrible, horrible NBA coach. He'd be right. fired. Yep. Long ago. That is absolutely 100% the way the NBA works. And there's many different forms of leadership. And I think leadership is a cliche at this point. Yes. Especially in the article. That was the point. And as someone who is a leadership guru, um, <laughs> I, I can speak to this with some authority. Because uh, I am a horrible leader and uh, no one follows my example. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, th I think one one leader that I, that I kind of see on the Nuggets, I think leadership takes many forms, like you guys are saying. I even think when Danilo Gallinari, watching him on the sidelines, like when he's on the bench and the Nuggets are up ninety to seventy nine or something, and he's standing up and has his arm around his teammates and they're kind of rooting him on. I think Gallo has a lot of unwritten and a lot of unnoticeable leadership qualities that are really going to come out this season especially now because I feel like this is more Gallo's team than it is anybody else's team at this point. As much as we want, as much as Fareed wants to make it his team, as much as the media wants to try to force it onto Moutier, I really feel like Gallinari is the guy that is probably going to go through most of the season unnoticed as a leader of this team. But I think that's also a good thing. I don't think you have to have a guy that, like we've said, that the Denver media anoints as a leader and likes to regurgitate and talk about all the time. So. Yeah, leaders don't have to be, you know, out there and have, you know, all rah-rah and stuff. They can be more quiet and just set a good example for their guys. I think uh, I think this was in your podcast with Dempsey. It might not have been, but I think it was. When you guys were talking about how Ty Lawson grew up in a locker room with J.R. Smith, yeah. Carmel Anthony, Kenyon Martin, and it kind of set a tone for how his career would take shape. And now if you look at Emmanuel Moutier and the guys they're surrounding him with in the locker room, Mike Millers, the Jameer Nelsons, I mean, it seems like it could turn out a lot better than Ty Lawson did. So do you guys think with, with the addition of Mike Miller, we, 
is Eric Green the odd man out because he has the it's a hundred thousand dollars to pay him basically to go away? Is it Nick Johnson? Can they wait and kind of see how training camp unfolds? My what I was kind of thinking today is okay, let's say Gary Harris comes out in preseason looks pretty good. Would they be comfortable enough to trade Randy Foy for like a second round pick just to kind of clear that salary? Would there be a move where they could trade J.J. Hickson to kind of clean up something there because they have so many big men? Is J.J. an important insurance man? Like, who's who's the odd man out, and can the Nuggets afford to let this drag out for a while? I think, uh, first, I, I, I think it's unlikely for, for that to happen just because of the way the league works, and I don't know if people want to you know take on Randy Foy. But, but if it is possible, I don't think it's going to require Gary Harris having a breakout preseason or, or early part of a season or what have you. I think... I think if there's an opportunity for them to move Foy, possibly even Hickson, they absolutely will go for it. Because as much as Foy will be one of the better shooters on the team and one of the more experienced players, he doesn't provide them anything, and they and he's gone next year no matter what. So I think if they have a chance to do that and they can hang on to Eric Green, they will 100% go for it. And I'm guessing Conley might be working towards that. Do you think there would be a team out there who would want Randy Foy just to come off the bench and maybe hit some threes every once in a while? 82-game season. <laughs> There's always the team out there that needs another shooter. <laughs> I, mean, not a, he, I mean, he's not an elite shooter. He doesn't do a bunch of elite, so there's not like a demand, right? 36% last year and like 38% the year before that. There's always a couple teams like that. You know, I can just see, you know, the Clevelands of the world, the Houstons of the world. If they have an injury, they'd be in the market for a guy like Randy Foy who can just come in and play. You have to be able to take him, too, though. I don't think – I mean, there's a lot yeah, of teams that don't have any, yeah. any flexibility to do it. Well, and Foy, Foy's good in the locker room. Yeah, he's not a problem guy. He, is, he, he, he was, along with a couple others, he was the, one of the guys that was trying to hold everything together. I think the Nuggets, more than anything, are just rewarding him for being one of the good guys last year. But in the grand scheme of things, you don't – well, I mean, we're, count, we're, we're hoping to get Gary Harris – suddenly finds his shot. There's a lot of hope there, and then he better hope for it because this is a big year for him. And I know that this, you know, this uh, that hinges on Gary Harris making that leap, and that's going to be one of those things that's not going to be able to be proven until well into the year. So I don't see Randy Foy going anywhere, to be honest with you. I did really, the odd man out is Eric Green uh, because, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. Nick Johnson's contract is guaranteed, and there's only a hundred thousand dollars, as you pointed out, for Eric Green. I mean, so it, it just seems like that's the guy that you target because Mike Miller and stuff. And look, so. fan bases tend to overrate the fifteenth guy on their roster all the time, and Eric Green might be that guy. I mean, I enjoyed watching him at summer league. He get he can get hot, and you can see his confidence is a hundred percent. He's that guy oh, yeah. that he hits two or three, and it's like he's going to hit the next two or three. He's a great summer league player yeah, for that, two years in a row. And that might be him. And and, it, and it's hard as a fan base because we're rooting for these guys. And, and we we blog. We're at Pepsi Center. That guy's there every day. He's there working out, and he's putting in the work. So you kind of root for those kind of guys. He hasn't made a lot of money. If he gets cut and he drops out of the league, you know, he's made good money. We're not going to feel sorry for him. But it's not. Yeah. I mean, he's still going to have to enter the workforce, most likely. You know, there's so, – so, you know, we root for guys like this because he put the work in, and this is his dream. But, you know, it just it, – it, I don't think if, if we lose Eric Green, it's going to alter the course of Nuggets, the future of the Nuggets. Right. Very true. All right, so Harrison, understand this was your first media day? This was my first media day. <laughs> Harrison, Harrison win, NBA win. Um, today this was your first media day. Okay, just 
just say what you were going to say. So well, what I was going to say was I've been watching all these videos of media days on NBA TV and YouTube and stuff. They all seem very formal, very organized. And then I come to the Pep Center, and there's a half court there with about 20 chairs scattered along the three-point line. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And I don't know. It just seemed wasn't what I expected. Yeah, so if we, if we break down, like, the Nuggets media day, it's you come in, you hang out in the media lounge. There's a probably a 30-minute press conference with Tim Conley with Mike Malone. Uh, and then we Michael. usher Michael Malone. Jesus. Jeez. Jeez, Paul, Paul Klee called him Mike. First question of the press conference, hey, Mike. And I was like, oh, my God, he's going to kill Paul Klee. My boy, Paul Klee. R.I.P. Paul Klee. <laughs> hey, Mick. So the, we get done with the press conference. They usher us upstairs. We take the elevators up to the practice court. The practice court is cut in half. There's a divider about half court where on the far side of the court, they're doing a photo shoot for players. Everybody's seen those when the Nuggets players are holding pickaxes and whatnot. On the other side, there's... Like Harrison alluded to, there's a bunch of chairs kind of scattered this year. And years past, there's been kind of an arc of chairs with player names on them. And it's it's kind of a free-for-all. They bring in three, four, five players at a time. And, you know, you either meet the player and talk to them or you don't. And there's guys you miss. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a free-for-all. But I, I like it from the perspective of you're allowed to get a little more personal with the players and maybe get some exclusives versus having to sit at a podium and listen to a guy give you canned answers. Yeah, and that's media day. I, I always I try to get my little videos and get some good quotes, and, and it's really a chance for you to talk to a player before he's jaded by the season. Any player, even if they're on the winning team, it's just the, the rigmarole and the what's it and the who's it gets to them. Yeah. <laughs> What it's did you work on this summer? <laughs> what was the main thing you worked on this summer? Yeah, I did. What about yeah. leadership? Can you tell me? Oh. <laughs> Can you talk to us about Emmanuel Moutier? Again? I was going to try to ask a question at media day of Malone and be like, you know, you never hear a player say, and I heard this somewhere else, I didn't want to say it, but you never hear a guy say, hey, I'm going to the gym tonight to work on some defense. It's always, I'm going to the gym to get some shots up, right? I've never heard anybody say I'm going to go into the gym to work on defense. I'm going to the gym. Got, I got a chair lined up. I'm going to do some <laughs> defensive slides tonight. Because, like, we, you know, we heard Malone at, at, at Media Day talking about, you know, we want to build defense to offense and defense, and we want defense to do this, and defense is going to do that for us, and then defense and defense is going to do this. So you just you, you wonder... How, how, how do you get these guys to focus on defense when everybody just wants to work on their shot? This, all right, my, my perspective on this is that d- defense is a lot more instinctual, right? Than, I, for, for me to try to explain, I was more of a defensive player in my day than I was an offensive player. Is Ever? that because you were a bad offensive player? <laughs> no. Or you just liked defense? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually led our team in scoring in college senior year, but uh, I, was, I was just a better defensive player. He went, to, Col- he went to Colorado College. D three. I took. Uh, That's <laughs> yes. good. I, I would I, never. I, I took Harrison it. on a uh, tour of the old stomping grounds just yesterday. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very impressive campus. <laughs> very, very impressive. Like two blocks by two blocks. It's a very small. It's a very very small one. But it's good hoops. I mean, you play against good competition. I mean, hey, man, we beat Air Force, so take that Air Force. Yeah, and Air Force hey. is a pretty damn good basketball hey. team. That's something to be proud of. Right? Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, but defense is instinctual. So you think about if you're trying to teach a guy some of the little things you do on defense. Sometimes you don't know why you do them. You just do them, and it's and, it, and it's really hard. I think it's just repetitions. I don't. I can't imagine how anybody can go into a gym and work on their defense. I mean, it is. It's only, right. It's comical to think of a drill you could do that improves your defense. You just want your buddy to just take layups and you're just going to block his shot. <laughs> <all night. laughs> yeah. 
No, that's a great point. Defense definitely is instinctual. It's totally different than offense. And Mike Malone is a defensive coach. We know that now. He's said that. His players have said that about him. Uh, you, you know that from his resume in New Orleans and Golden State where he helped build that defense up into the championship caliber one it is today. Um, so that's what he's going to bring to the table. And I think it's going to have some really interesting storylines with some of the players on this roster if they're going to really buy into what he's selling. I cut a really good video with Malone when he was with the Kings. There was a YouTube video where he talks about somebody asked him, "Don't you have to? how are you going to make the Sacramento defense good? They don't have good defensive players. And he alluded to, you know, you really just have, you have to try on defense. If you can get guys to buy into your system and try, and if you have the right system in place and those guys buy into it, that's how you become a good you – can, you, can you can be a good defensive team without having good individual defensive players. And that's exactly what was so impressive to me in the, in the press conference. Because, you know, I asked him – it wasn't a complicated question I asked him in the press conference, but it was one where I didn't, it wasn't so much the answer that he had, but really how he thought about the question. And, and what, he, what he said was – I asked him about fouling, and, and what he said was that it's important for him to explain to the players why fouling hurts – your your defense and your offense and i think that's the key thing because i mean look it's all good in theory i don't know if this is actually applicable to nba players that are making millions of dollars but <laughs> it does make sense to say you know it's not just telling guys to do this do that do this but trying to explain why we're doing that and i think for me personally as a player that would be very helpful so i i'm hopeful and optimistic it will be for nba players as well, well i've always thought that defense was effort offense was planning and one of the reasons defensive teams don't end up being a great offensive team is because you exert more energy on defense because you're always reacting to what the offense is doing. It's a different set of muscles. It's just it's completely different. The Golden State Warriors were able to achieve a certain thing primarily because they had phenomenal shooters. A first in NBA history, I think, that level of shooting on a team. So they were able to play D and trust that someone's going to be able to shoot. By and large, most defensive teams, quote-unquote, are kind of grindy teams because you really exert a lot of energy defending the way you want to defend. It's going to be interesting for me to see how Michael Malone transitions this into, he keeps saying, running off of this. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to make a defensive team that doesn't have phenomenal shooters still be able to run. Just kind of fit perfectly with this sound clip. (laughs) Wow, did we set that up or what? (laughs) That was just Jeff being a freaking pro at this. I'm going to play a little sound now from Michael Malone today. Um, I asked him about, do you have to practice being a a run-and-gun team and being a up-and-down team? And this was his response, and particularly to start about being a a run-and-gun team. Jesus' name. I've never said I want to be a run-and-gun team. That run-and-gun, the whole when, you know, when I hear that, I hear of, I think of teams that play 120 to 118. Uh, I want to be a team that runs off of our defense, but I think the way you practice it is uh, can you get guys in shape? That's number one, because if you're not in shape, you can't run consistently. The great running teams run for four quarters, uh, and then 
we have to practice how we want to play. But to my point about not being a run-and-gun team, we're going to work on our defense and run off of our defense. Uh, work on our outlet pass, making sure our outlet pass is up the floor with momentum, getting our wings running for layups, if not getting all the way flat to the corner and getting our bigs running. So it's just a matter of repetition. But uh, the big thing for me is I don't want to run off of makes. I want to run off of misses, which means that we're defending at a high level. Boom, Michael Malone. Michael Malone. Uh, you know that I like that clip because it sounds like AM radio. It <laughs> yes. sounds like the old Nuggets broadcasts where you could hear the, the balls bouncing in the back. Balls bouncing in the background. Well, it um, proves that we were actually at training. It does. Today. It does. <laughs> this is man on the street stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I still am a uh, Malone skeptic in, a, in, in a, insofar as I'm not entirely sure he will be able to translate his approach to the roster he has still remains to be seen i mean he's saying the right things but i'm really curious because when he starts comparing yusuf nurkic to demarcus cousins and then he says gallo can play the four and then i keep thinking well he posted up rudy gay in the four slot constantly in sacramento there's a lot of potential flaws there Nate, what do you think about that approach? Because that's a that's. I liked what he said. I liked how he differentiated the fact that he wants to run off of misses, and I think that gets guys like Fareed excited about defensive rebounds, potentially. And it might get you know if you have Emmanuel Mudiay grabbing a defensive board, then he's probably just going to take the ball and try to go at least coast to coast and then try to feed it off. But I like it. I mean, I think you have to have an offense that works in the half court, but you have to understand when you need to push the ball and get easy points, that, that that's something that is going to benefit your offense. You know, you got to get easy points. you got to get guys excited about playing defense. And if you tell them, hey, we're going to play defense, and if you do that, then we're going to push the ball and we're going to run, I think that's going to work. And I, I, it makes me excited about what he's going to do. And so far, even in Summer League, they push the ball in Summer League. And to me, I, I don't have any issue with him. Um, I, I take him at his word, and I, I like what they're doing with the team, and I, I like half court. I like pushing the ball when they need to, and, and, and I'm excited to see how they implement it, and I was excited to hear him say, you know, we need outlet passes. We have to actually practice it, because I think under Brian Shaw that a lot of times he was saying, you know, we'll figure out the offense, and Malone's saying this is how we're going to figure out the offense, and, and this is the way we're going to get there, and to me that's, that's a bigger step. Yeah, I think a couple things. The first thing is, I think the running off of misses thing is a platitude. Every coach, and this is like one of those bingo things for media day. Every coach says the same stuff on media, early in the season. We're going to run off of misses, but we're going to play defense. So I don't put too much stock into that. But to the point that Jeff said about him, you know, is if he's able to mold his system. First of all, I think Jeff's right. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds. Part of me is very optimistic because he says all the right things. He's obviously smart, sharp as can be, but... You know, he did have a terrible team in Sacramento, or, or a terrible record in Sacramento overall. So yeah. I think it's very healthy to be skeptic, uh, skeptical about him. Um, but I will say, some of the things, some of the specific things that he got into in media day are very, very encouraging to me. Especially when he talked about some of the defensive schemes of the Warriors, some of the things about pushing the ball and, and playing Gallo at the four in Eurobasket. To me... You know, that's saying the right things, but it's also, I, that doesn't seem like a lie to me. That seems like his brain working and thinking like, wow, this is a, something new that was really, really effective at the highest level. Um, so I think the rap on him and the fear of him, you know, just playing big ball and posting up all the time, 
I'm, I'm more optimistic probably than Jeff is that he's going to be able to adjust his style to Denver. I've been a huge fan of Michael Malone ever since he's been hired. I was kind of didn't, wasn't really in favor of the hiring, um, but I've really come around on him. Every question I've asked him, he's given such a intellectual response. It almost sounds like he's has somebody write it out for him, and he's been practicing it for like two weeks before he says it to me. His his quotes are amazing. Um, I love how he's always talked about efficiency and running with efficiency and uh, not necessarily just running to get the pace numbers up. I think the Nuggets were fourth or something in pace last season. But, I mean, that stat really doesn't tell you anything when you think of how inefficient the offense and defenses were. And I think he's really got a plan that he wants to execute. He's really talked about playing small a lot. And I've asked him about it. A lot of people have asked him about it. And he's made it a point to stress that they're going to play small Gallinari's going to play a lot of four. Fareed's going to play a lot of five. And I've just been impressed with, you know, the plan he has. And he seems to know exactly what he, what he wants to do. Yeah, and remember, we, even when we asked him today, I asked him about Wilson Chandler's role because some people had asked me, hey, could Wilson play shooting guard? And he said, you know, yeah, you know, we talked about it. We said, what if we had Moutier, Chandler, Gallo, Fareed, and, you know, Nurkic or whoever at center. And, you know, that's something we talked about, but, you know, you looked at it, and maybe that happens, but he still says he envisions Chandler playing more small forward and power forward. And to me, I think the small ball thing, I wrote about it on Denver Stiffs over the summer when I said Gallinari could be the playmaking four for these guys, that, that new trend. And I'm excited about that. I, I really like the lineups that featured you know, Chandler, Gallinari, and even Freed at center. I like those lineups. I think they're very versatile. They can switch those a lot on defense offense I think it gives them you know more playmakers on the floor especially if you put Gallinari as a power forward in pick and roll situations I think that really opens up your offense to do uh, an incredible amount of things you know with him able to attack the rim you know shoot off pass I mean it's pretty incredible I think the versatility they'll have but at the same time you start looking at the number of guys they have and you think who's he gonna sit and who's he not gonna play and how are guys gonna react when you know, how's JJ going to react if he records five or six did not play coaches' decisions in a row? You know, what's what's going to happen when stuff starts going bad? What if they open the season one and eight? You know, is Fareed going to be as happy as he was at media day to to be on this team when you know maybe he's not getting the minutes or the shots? I want to see what happens when these guys start facing some controversy because obviously right now it's all you know ice cream and puppy dogs. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I I'm skeptical about his offensive approach. Whatever on the defense. A defensive coach is only as good as the effort that people give. So it's it, mm, if I he disagree. gets people to buy in, fine. That gets that, but I always thought the good defensive coach, like the Tom Thibodeau thing. Tom Thibodeau, one of the reasons his players dropped like flies is because, one, he overplayed them, and two, he would overextend them on defense. So my skeptic and his offensive approach was dreadful. It was awful. It was just give the ball to Derrick Rose and let him create, basically, and a bunch of meaningless pick and rolls. It was basically the Brian Shaw offense with better players. It concerns me in a sense that, yeah, you can talk all you want about defense. Fine, people will execute on defense. But if you don't have a logical offensive approach that feeds into your defense – I don't under, I don't think the two things can mesh. 
And I think we, there's a lot of hypotheticals right now based on nothing with Malone because we only have his time in Sacramento to go on. People are like, no, 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 he'll be, he'll be fine. Really? I mean... I would, unfortunately, I'd fundamentally disagree, though, with the, with the point that, that defense is largely effort. I think there's subtle things you can do. First of all, with Tibbs, there was, there's a dozen things that the Tibbs defense does that, that few other teams do or they only do to a certain extent. You're right that, I mean, for, for one, they keep everybody, everything on one side by icing screens even above the wing. They bring the help side defender on the weak side all the way across the paint so that they'll have a lot of times four defenders on the strong side of the ball. Um, so I think there's things like that you can do. One example, and one of the reasons I asked Malone this question at, at Media Day was because he talks about turning defense into offense. And one thing yeah. you can do uh, in, in that regard is you can, be, you can gamble a little bit. And one of the ways you gamble is by sending your big guys out to trap screens. And when the ball goes out to the wing, you send that, the guy that's uh, defending the screener, you send him to trap. And you, you give up a lot of layups and things that, uh, you know, when you play that way. But you also get a lot of steals and a lot of fast breaks. So I do think little differences in the defensive scheme can have big impacts, not just effort. I wonder if he'll have a defense that is risky like that. Because it, it seemed like Shaw did not want to give up layups. And then George Carl loved guys when they you know, played passing lanes. So it's and, and by the way, Melvin Hunt absolutely had that lineup because he went with the J.J. Hicks yeah. and Kenneth Fareed small, super small ball lineup with those two. And those guys, he knew, like, we can't just play defense regular. We're not going to try to challenge shots at the rim. We have to get them before they get to the rim. So Melvin Hunt did that, and it actually worked really effectively. Well, then maybe the question is, will he allow leakouts? Because that was Brian Shaw hated leakouts, hated him. Malone's going to hate them as well. Like, well, even Malone's saying, though, like, yeah. you know, saying that you have to have these outlet passes where you have guys moving it up the floor, and that you have to have a leak out to, you a, have to, to a sense. And that's a, if, if your defense is going to, even, the, even the, the Golden State Warriors have leak outs. If you're going to be on a break, you have to have someone ahead of the break. And if you're going to be doing outlet passes, you're going to have to be, in a sense, you're going to have that four, risk a four on five. The thing I'm worried yeah. about um, when we're talking about turning defense into offense is what do bad teams do uh, in terms of pushing the ball? They slow down the pace. They limit the number of possessions. So part of me is worried that when, we f- when the Nuggets fall behind and when we don't get off to a good start, we're going to try to limit possessions. He's going to you know, try to slow the ball down a little and try to keep games close that way. That's a part that kind of concerns me because he definitely did that in Sacramento a lot. But they don't have anybody that they can really slow the offense down for. It doesn't matter. I see what Harrison's point yeah. is actually a really good one because he has to have the front office's support. Because you're right. This is what the Cavs did to stay close in the finals, right? right? They right. weren't neck and neck with the Warriors. They just cut 20 possessions off the game. Right. So, so Malone could theoretically say, like, oh, we're 2-10 to start the year. We've got to really <laughs> slow things down so we're not losing by 15 points every game. And I hope that the front office, and I don't know what kind of faith you guys have in the front office to do this kind of thing, but I hope the front office says, you know what, you have this whole year to establish a culture and a style and principles. I don't care if we're winning by 15. If that's the style we're supposed to be playing, build towards it. I felt pretty comfortable in the fact that when kind of pushed on media day to say, what are your expectations, that you know, Tim Conley said a few times we don't have expectations we're not putting a win total on this we're not you know and to me that kind of says without saying it 
we're going to let Malone, Tim, he has some leeway. Tim Conley, I am sure, is 100% on board. He's probably not the one that needs to worry about it. And if Tim Conley gets pressure from above, then is Tim Conley still on board with us losing by 15 points? Right. Then Tim Conley might be saying, you know, if he's worried about his job, and I'm not, this isn't a critique of him. This is just how it works when you're trying to save your job. You might have to say, let's, let's you know, let's slow the, you know, you might meddle. Because he's in a, I mean, he's in a contract season, right? Yep, yep if, right. absolutely. If he's not doing what his owner wants or what, you know, because ultimately it's the owner that's, you know, having to pay for whatever losses the team is going to face at the end of the season, so. And yes, they are rebuilding, but we've heard, we heard Malone say it. We heard Conley say it. The Nuggets aren't rebuilding. You know, they want to get they want to get that out there and make that very clear that the Nuggets aren't rebuilding. They want to be competitive this year. And sell yeah. tickets, right? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> the Nuggets, as long as the Cronkies are owning them, will never intentionally field a bad team, right. except at the end of the year last. Year. Except for the end of the year, <laughs> but that was the that was twenty games. Everyone had checked out by the time the Nuggets got to the end of the year. But in doing pulling a Philly, the Nuggets will never do that. And I thought, go ahead, Adam. I was just going to say, and I understand it from an ownership standpoint in that we've had two terrible years. Interest in the Nuggets is pretty low compared to what it's been for the last decade. So I, I get it's a very tough sell if it's your billions of dollars on the line saying, oh, we're, we need three years to establish this style that may or may not work. Yeah. So it's not as cut as black and white as as maybe our job makes it seem, but right. So I sympathize. So I saw. I think a big point um, that we got to in the in media day press conference that Michael Malone kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit with Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> I know we talked uh, on the show last week, both uh, Chris Dempsey and Matt Moore, when we started talking about what's your predictions for starting lineups, and they both had floated uh, Nikola Jokic perhaps as being the starting center for this team. And then, you know, when I asked Malone at the press conference, you know, what are your expectations for Gary Harris, uh, Joffrey Laverne, and, and Nikola Jokic, he was optimistic about Harris maybe, you know, trying to battle for a starting position. He mentioned Joffrey as perhaps being a guy that could replace Nurkic as a starting center. And Jokic, he really kind of, to me, said, we're going to bring him along slowly. He may not play hardly at all this year. This, reading between the lines is what I thought he said there. And he, the reason he said that was because he kind of let the cat out of the bag saying that Yusuf Nurkic is not quite ready to start the season. And then when he was asked for a follow-up question of, do you mean the season or do you mean training camp? And they kind of, you know, Conley and Malone had to kind of backtrack and fumble around and say, oh, uh, you know, he's ahead of schedule, he's this or that. But if you're, Yusuf Nurkic is not ready, where do you guys see the center position going with this team? Well, I'll give you a fresh quote on Nikola Jokic from... Uh Michael, don't call me Mike Malone. Uh, this is from D- Chris Dempsey's uh, Twitter account. Um, and you guys were there. I, I'm, I'm assuming you heard this, too. Uh, I'll tell you, Nikola Jokic, he's a young kid, and I'm not saying he's ready, but he does things every practice that make you say, wow, this kid has a chance to be a hell of a player. There's, there's a point where you have a battle between development and winning games. And I don't necessarily think you're going to be sacrificing any further wins by playing Nikola Jokic now, especially with Nurkic out. I don't think it will be because you're stuck between that and J.J. Hickson. I think Joffrey's a better player right now. I think he's 
a stronger player. I think he's a guy that you can turn to to play center. I don't know if he'll do any good, but I think that he's a, a big body that they might be able to turn to. And I was, I've was i been impressed with him since I liked him last season a little bit. I liked him in summer league. I mean, he's not you know a top-flight, top-15 prospect at the center position, but he's interests me enough to where I would rather see him start at center than J.J. Hickson. And I'm not quite sure I want to see Darrell Arthur play center and, and give up layups every game. Sorry, Matt. Without a rim protector. Yeah, Darrell Arthur at center is kind of scary. I think it's kind of funny um, that we talk about this whole uh, developing young players and sacrificing wins. Because last year I wasn't really covering the team like I am this year. But just from afar, and I would see Randy Foy trot out there for 25, 28 minutes a night and just take away Gary Harris's minutes. And that just, like, killed me. So this year, I mean, the young guys' development is crucial. And I, don't, I think they should be totally willing to sacrifice winning games for developing these young guys. Um, at the center position, I mean, it's, it's tough. None of those guys are going to really replace Nurkic. Um, if I had to go with my gut, I'd probably say J.J. Hickson starting opening night, which I don't like. <laughs> but that's just what my gut of what Malone's going to do. J.J. Hickson, I think, is much more of a second-unit center. I, don't, I think against the starting center, um, I, it's going to be incredibly ineffective. Fareed actually alluded to this at Media Day, which I thought was a really enlightening comment. I was surprised. He said, uh, I like to play the five at yeah. times, but in the fourth quarter, after the big man's already had to run up and down for three and a half quarters, right. and I get to go in there and kind of – just wear him out at the end. That was actually a really, really interesting comment, and I thought really, really enlightening. But to, about to get back to Jokic, you know, he lost all that weight, and I think it's legit. We saw him, you know, in training camp, he looks really skinny. And we talk about player development. Giving him too many minutes might be bad for his, his development. Throwing him into the wolves might be bad for his development because even in summer league, we saw him getting pushed around by bigger guys. He's a year away. From I mean the, the old cliche of being a year away from being a year away, he's a yeah. year away from starting his development, in my opinion. And I love Jokic. I'm very high on Jokic. I think he's going to be a very good player. He's a very good passer. Because if he got pushed around at plus thirty pounds, how much is he going to get pushed around minus those thirty pounds against Dwight Howard, not Walter Tavares? <laughs> yeah. So he's. Got, I mean, that's baptism by fire when you talk about Western Conference centers and, and big men in that first month of the season. So. I don't know. Um, I love Jokic. I want to watch him play. I want to see what happens. But I don't know if more than five to ten minutes every other game or something like that, I think that's probably his number. So who do you think starts opening night? I would think that Darrell Arthur will will be a guy that Malone's going to like a lot. I personally like him a lot. He's got a lot of the strength. Uh, uh, to be able to handle the front, the, the the first, the starting center, the first line of centers, which I mean, who else does? Joffrey does, but I'm, I'm much lower on on Joffrey than you are, Nate. I, I I think he is what he is, and and that's not a very great player. It's a good hustler. Um, yeah, I don't think he's a starting caliber player, but I wouldn't mind seeing him fill in. He's Nick time. Collison. When you talk about starting centers, though, teams game plan for that start. They, a lot of teams, what they do in the NBA is they game plan the first three possessions and maybe the, first, the opening strategy, and we'll go from there. If Joffrey is your starting center, everybody's game plan is we're going to destroy Joffrey until they pull him out of there. But if... 
But if you're starting centers Darrell Arthur, that's going to nah, be the same game plan. I disagree. I think. Well, first of all, I, no. I think. I think. I think. I think he'll he'll make him work a lot a lot more. But what, how many teams are are going to game plan to like like what would the game plan be if it's Joffrey? Is it going to be dump the ball in the post? I mean, teams don't really do that that much anymore. I mean, they will if it's maybe him. But do you remember what happened to Joffrey and and Kenneth Farid against Donatus Matiunas last year at Pepsi Center? <laughs> It was it no. was it was shameful what happened because the the last the whole last quarter of the game they just, they did exactly that where they just threw the ball into Demo and watched him do little jump hooks or little up and under fakes and and, and it was it was embarrassing to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think the game went into overtime even so the Nuggets hung hung with it. Hey, it went to overtime. Yeah, they, so so they hung with <laughs> Straight it. Uh, I think Demo. I, I'll have to fact check this, but I think he has two career high games. Both came against the Nuggets last year. Well, I mean, when you're playing Kenneth Farid at center, yeah, the Nuggets are pretty much screwed at center without Nurkic. Yeah, I, that, that's, that's, that's what we've realized through this whole conversation. And you know, that's the funny point actually, because Nurkic is really good defender, and I think he plays a style of defense that Malone's going to love. They're going to funnel things to him, and he's an intimidating force in there. So you want to build habits in, in in training camp, but how do you build those habits when? The replacement for Nurkic is nobody. nobody. So <laughs> we went from having Kufis, McGee, and Mozgov to having no centers. Yeah, you know, you had Nurkic and nothing. Yeah, Nurkic and you know, it's man. I, I, I wish they still had Mozzie here, but and you know, Jeff Jeff had a video up with Nurkic from Media Day, and and he mentioned something in that video, and I don't know if it was just a loss in translation because of a language barrier, but he said it might be a couple of months before he's back. He said that in the video. You can go and listen to it on, on Colorado Sports Guy's YouTube channel. Um, CSG. And that was interesting to me because I, I'd heard guys say that, and I don't know when he'll be back, but I think whenever he does come back, it's it kind of sucks because he didn't get to practice this offseason. He didn't get to work on his game, and he's going to be behind the eight ball a little bit, but... You know, I'm efforting. I don't, I don't mind them not rushing him back because I'd hate to see him come back and completely tear his patella. Or I'm efforting you know? the quote. Yeah. Like this year, it doesn't matter that much. You know, screw this year. Well, me and Harrison had a, a fun talk on the ride down, the hour and a half ride down, and then ride back uh, <laughs> to to watch 15 minutes of practice yesterday. But um, one of what we talked about practice, was you mean uh, training, practice, three practice, <laughs> watching shooting. Yes, um, but we we talked about Nurkic's floor, and I think he could be a guy that misses two months of the season, walks onto the court, and picks up where he left off under Shaw. Yeah. Uh, he was a little less effective under Melvin Hunt just because of the, like I said, the aggressive scheme that they were, they were doing on defense. And he had a torn patella tendon. And he had a torn patella <laughs> So I think he's a guy that can, if he's healthy, he can walk on the court and be an effective defender. He'll probably still foul. His offense is going to be really ugly. But defensively, I think his ceiling is there. So That's what I wondered about Nurkic. So he averaged, what, basically 6-6 six and six last year, right, with, the, with, mis- with missing time. And six fouls. And yeah, six hundred fouls, <laughs> and like ten fouls per thirty-six minutes. <laughs> so let's say that he didn't get injured last year, and he came into this summer working out and stuff. What would you think his average is? Like, is he really far behind, or is he not that far behind? Because, like you said, he could probably come in and pick up where he left off. Is he? Would he have gained a lot this summer? Like, are we? Are we going to be? Is he behind by a lot, or is he okay? The number one thing I think is that the training camp defensive scheme would have been different. I think they would have game planned differently around his talent, so that would have been big. But I do think, yes, he would have improved just some of his basic. He hasn't been playing basketball for very long, right? It's only been a handful of years, less than ten years, I believe. Yeah, five or six years. Yeah, so I think. I think it would have just it would have benefited him just to kind of get in there shooting, you know, 
jump hooks and, and, and drop steps and, and, and working on rolling to the rim and catching a lot. I think that kind of stuff uh, would have been useful to him. So, yes, it's a big setback him he, missing out. He also probably would have played in Eurobasket for his country oh. over the summer. Yeah, that's true. Which well. would have just gotten some more games under his feet, and which I think is the best way to get younger players more comfortable is just to have them play more games. According to a Bosnian uh, reader on Reddit, shout out to our Denver Nuggets, according to one of, uh, of the Bosnian contributors to that site, he, the, he's a, on a little bit of shaky standing uh, with the Bosnian fans because they wanted him to spend more time at home, they wanted him to play for the national team, and he's, he's uh, according to this guy, sources, uh, there are saying, sources on Reddit are saying that uh, he's kind of slighted them, so maybe something to keep. We an eye saw on. that last year too when he left early. Remember, he had a he had a knee issue last year before yes, he when he was playing with the Bosnian national team, and he left early to come to Denver, and uh, he took some grief for that as well. I just watched the video uh, that I took again to get the exact <laughs> quote about, and he said, two more months we will see about his knee." So. And again, we don't know if that's a, a language barrier at all, or if that's if that's really happening. But. You know, that's not bad. That actually would work out perfectly for him because our because November's by far our toughest month, right? You look at our <laughs> oh, schedule. Yeah. Schedule's so brutal. We're going to be like one and twelve, and he's going to come back. Hey, and we're hey, going to go hey, on one and twelve. Come on. <laughs> hey, hey I, there's a chance we'll be one and twelve, and yeah. he'll come save the day. That's, there's another point right there. Like, okay, so Vegas came out with what was it, twenty six and a half over under for the Nuggets. Yep. Uh, projection, Adam, that you had today was around 27. It's hard to lose 30. It's hard to win just 30 games in the NBA. Like, you got to be bad. Yep. It's uh, To me, that's the hardest thing to do is to predict a win total for this team because I don't have any idea. I really don't. I, I, I think the difference between Sean Malone is, is tremendous. I think having Gallinari, Gallinari healthy, having Fareed motivated – uh, but then you still have you have Moutier, you have the 19-year-old trying to close out crunch time against the Clippers when you're up by two with five minutes left, you know, and you lose that game by 12 at, at the end. You know, that's going to yep. happen. But yep. I just don't know where to go with win total for this team. And even, you know, I kind of solicited the question on Twitter last night and heard a range of answers in between 30 to 40 wins for the team. And it, that's going to be, to me, I don't know how you're going to make a prediction for these guys. Yeah, I think they're going to hit the over, um, not by much. I haven't made an official prediction yet, but if I had to make one, it'd be around 29, 30 wins. The thing is, um, once those Vegas lines came out and I saw, because I expected it to be higher, I expected it to be, you know, 30-something. When I saw 26 and a half, I was like, man, one injury, I I don't even want to say that, but one injury to one of our key players, to Gallinari, to a Moody a, and I mean they're definitely hitting the under, so it's a really low number, but it's they could go either way still. Yeah, how many games do they win if Gallo misses thirty games? How many games do they win if Nurkic doesn't come back to December twentieth? Yeah. How many games do they miss if Moody a misses a month? Um, so there's a lot of things that can happen that are going to derail the, the the win total at least. Well, I keep telling people, don't worry about wins, don't worry about losses. Two things. Look for it to be a more entertaining product and look for steps. You know, because they could still be competitive and do the steps. You know, you don't have to be losing games by 25 points every night. Progression. All that stuff like that. You just look for stuff 
that where you see they've gone from point A to point B, and you can see it in front of you, rather than just judging everything by wins and losses. That is a football-ass mentality, you know, and we don't need that. It is, this, this, is, this is something that is just going to be a progression, and hopefully by the end of the year, the rays of light will be coming in. Jeff, would you be saying that we need to trust the process? <laughs> no. Why did you say that? No. But I, I, I think about it, and I, 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 you know, we went through, last week we went through the Western Conference teams. I have no idea who gets the eight seed, and I don't know if it matters. I don't know if the eight seed is even going to have, I would think that they probably have a winning record in the Western Conference, but I don't know. You start looking at the teams in that area, and probably, you know, most likely maybe it's Utah that gets there. You know, maybe it's one of these young teams that surprises, but really, I, I don't know. If things break right for the Nuggets, and I don't know if it takes 43 or 45 wins to get the eight seed this year, it could be a really low win total for that for that seed to get the privilege to get waxed by whoever gets the, the one seed. Well, the interesting thing about the Nuggets is that they, let's see, one in February and another in late March. Um, they have, or maybe April, they have a eight-game homestand and a seven-game homestand. I've never seen that ever. And I've been watching the Nuggets forever. I've never seen that. So there's a good chance that the Nuggets will be rallying at the end of the year with a bunch of home games, much like they were in 2012-13 when they started out with their 22 of their first 32 games were on the road. The Nuggets don't play an Eastern Conference opponent until late November. That is their first Eastern Conference point. Uh, it's two months uh, from now. That is unbelievable. <laughs> and that can bury you in the West pretty fast. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. rough. Well, here's bloggers. That sucks for us, right? Because we're excited. We're in a bubble. We live in a bubble, right? We're on yeah. Twitter in this basketball yeah. bubble. We don't see what the casual fan thinks. And the casual fan thinks the Nuggets are going to be boring this year. We think they're going to be entertaining. But what happens, like I said, they start 1-12. They might still finish with 30 wins and have a really entertaining rest of the season but how many people are going to drop off paying yeah. attention when we're 1 and 12 to start December yeah. and that schedule's brutal well the rough thing is nobody's going to pay attention period till the broncos <laughs> season's true. over and by that time we already might be in the cellar so it will already be february <laughs> mid february when the broncos season is over as we're parading down <laughs> down 60 i think the broncos <laughs> opponents have like one win so far combined this year so i mean if the broncos are 8 and 8 you know in the next couple of weeks the Nuggets might start getting some fans. They'll be like, Jesus, we don't got nothing in there. I can hear people on Twitter now. All you do is hate the Broncos. And one of them is Ross Martin. <laughs> All you do is hate on the Broncos. What's wrong with you? So another question I, that I posed and that I've been looking at is, is who wins Rookie of the Year? And it's, it's an interesting question. And typically it goes to the guy that scores the most points, right? I mean, that's how it was the year that Carmelo Anthony got the screw job when LeBron James won Rookie of the Year. You know, Melo had similar stats. His team made the playoffs. Of course, he had a better supporting cast. But you start looking at, you know, me and Harrison were down in the Springs today, and I pulled up the draft, and we start going through players, and it's like, geez, man. there's. I'm excited about this rookie class. I think there's a ton of great rookies. But I think there's a there's a chance that we might see a different kind of rookie of the year. It might not be based off of, of points per game. Two words. Dave Franco. <laughs> and it got, well, is, is, that your, is, that, is that your honest prediction, though? No, he Are probably you, won't get. He won't play that much. 
And it's Scott Sky. It's a right. Scott yeah, Sky. I don't, know, uh, I don't know how he's going to do with Sky. I'm kind of worried God. about that. Who's ahead of him there? Like Tobias Harris? Uh, no, it would Ola be Depot. Oladipo. Oladipo. Two guard? Yeah. Who's our small forward? Tobias? Tobias. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who's our power forward? Gordon. Oh, God. I forgot about Gordon. I forgot he even existed. He had a great he had a, he had a forgettable year. Like ben Gordon just signed with Golden State. What are you talking you about? Know, we, playing we, power saw him, we saw him at Summer League, though, and he's taking over for Andre Iguodala as guys whose biceps look like they're flexing in, even when they're not. That guy yeah. has the biggest <laughs> arms. It looks like he's constantly flexing them, but he's just ripped. He's got these Shannon Sharp arms. Yes. So, uh, let's, let's go through some of these yeah, guys. Let's go back to this Rookie of the Year because if you're talking about guys who are going to score the most, Russell Okafor, right? I don't know. Well, you look I at don't know. you look at the number that. one pick. You got Carl Anthony Towns, who's going to be sharing shots with Andrew Wiggins, with Zach Levine, with Andre Miller. <laughs> but you know, you look at you got Towns. You have D'Angelo Russell, Okafor. You got Porzingis, Azonia, Willie Cauley Stein, Moutier, Stanley Johnson, Kaminsky, Justice Winslow, Miles Turner, Devin Booker, Cameron Payne, Ubre. I don't Justin Anderson like. Who's it going to be? Well, it's funny. Uh, Not Uber. I'm going to throw that. Up. Yeah, it won't be Uber. <laughs> we can eliminate Uber. <laughs> um, it's funny that uh, uh, our colleague Matt Moore is convinced that people just overthought themselves on Justice Winslow. And uh, the big stiff Andrew Feinstein I, just they they overthought themselves on 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 Justice Winslow, who let's face it had a a subpar workout with the Nuggets and it got all over the web and probably influenced... Which was se- ridiculous. <laughs> ...several people's decisions on him. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he'll get... I don't know how much chance he'll have in Miami enough to get uh, uh, Rookie of the Year. If I was to place bets, I would say probably any of the... Let's see, who was the first three that was... Towns, Russell, Okafor. Probably... Well, not those... Maybe not even those three. Who was... Not Porzingis. Zonia, Cauley Stein, Moutier, Stanley Johnson. I don't know, maybe Stanley Johnson, because I think he's got the most chance to shine and start. In uh, I don't know in, if he'll uh, start. Who's, who's there in front of him? I, I think Moutier. I think, I think D'Angelo Russell. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be sharing shots with Kobe. I don't know if Kobe plays all season. I mean, Kobe might be done I after mean, 15, 20 games. I don't know. He'll have the L.A. hype, but, I mean, I don't. he looked rough in summer league. There's, there's two types of fans out there. There's the fan that always thinks their team is going to win and everything great is coming their way, and there's the fan that's the cynic that thinks everything's going to go bad. And I'm the cynic type. <laughs> I always think that the worst is going to happen for the team I'm rooting for. Yeah. That being said, I do think Moutier has an inside track, and here's why. We talked about the tough schedule early. We talked about the homestand late. We talked about opportunity. He's going to have tons of opportunity. First of all, he's a great player. I mean, he's, he really does make a lot of plays that, that uh, a lot of people can't make at 19 years old. A lot of guys can't make it at any point in their career. He's going to have a stretch when the voting is happening where he's going to have a lot of home games, and that team, I think, is going to be showing signs of improvement. So I think if you look at a Nuggets, if I project how the season will go, they'll struggle early. They'll probably have their ups and downs. And at the end of the season, they'll start to show some signs. And I think, uh, I, I think he has a great chance at it. I wonder what his stats are going to look like. Like, I wonder what his... You know, is he going to get? I think his speed and his ability to get to the rim are going to put him over ten points. Again. Yeah, he's going to be able to get to the rim and get to the line no problem. I mean, you saw that in summer league; he can penetrate whenever he wants to. Um, he's going to have problem. yeah, shooting's obviously his problem, but he's going to have the ball in his hands so much that it's going to be hard for him not to put up a lot of numbers and fill up the box score stat wise. 
I think assists. I think he's, I think his assists will be much more impressive than his, his points early can we, on. Can you see a rookie of the year, yeah, rookie of the year, winning it with like twelve and seven? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah, not? Absolutely. Yeah, I could see that. But twelve and seven is a good stat line. But for a point think, guard, that's that's an impressive. But I, I, I want to look I, at what Wiggins did last um, year. Unless point guards like go nuclear, like Derrick Rose did, it's hard for them to win in that position. I tend to want to give it to a wing. I think I've, I think the wings are always the ones that generally stand out as rookies. So Wiggins Wiggins had sixteen point nine points per game last year. That's, that's he's, pretty he's, good for a rookie. And he's more of a scorer though. Um, and and actually that brings me to Towns. That's one of the reasons I think that he will not be rookie of the years. I do think he's going to be outshined by some of the second year players. Yeah. Because you remember rookies always suck. Almost. I mean, even LeBron James's numbers were terrible his first year in terms of percentages. Right. Um, I think this year will be a very big year for for Wiggins, and you got Rubio back, and you have some pieces there that I think Towns will kind of get pushed to the side. Zach Levine. I think this race. Co- I think this race <laughs> comes down to three guys. Monster dunk. Uh, Russell, Okafor, and Moutier. Russell. He's a guard. He's flashy. He's in L.A., so he's got that going for him. Okafor, there's nobody else in Philly to score the ball, so they're (laughs) going to be pounded inside to him. And Moutier, like I said, he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton, um, so he's going to put up numbers regardless. I mean, he might have a really low field goal percentage, but he's going to put up numbers, which is all the award really matters for. So, I mean, in my mind, those are the three guys, Russell, Okafor, Moutier. After Mello, after Mello was screwed, I don't, I don't think he was I screwed. I, I don't count on any <laughs> Nuggets player winning. He was twice the player LeBron was that year, and he got completely screwed. Nuggets had a much better team. They, they had, had a pretty a, good team. Yeah, they had a better team, but I, I'm like, come on! It was like 18, 19 points a game he scored that year. It was insane for a rookie. And I, well. I do really like this rookie class, though. I think this is a great rookie class. I'm excited to see Miles Turner with the Pacers. Man, I, that's a great one to bring up, yeah. actually. He's uh, very excited. And I'm, We're talking about their Pacers starting lineup. and you have, I mean, Who's their center? Jan Mahimi? Can Miles Turner start there? And you know, He's interesting. I, I like him. I, I like Winslow. I think Winslow could do some stuff. I like Justin Anderson with the Mavericks. I think he's, he's kind of an interesting player that, that may be thrust into the starting lineups and some Mavericks are kind well, of the, uh, I've the, got a candidate. The, the crypt. I've got a candidate. Nikola Radicevic. <laughs> <laughs> he might win uh, Rookie of the Year in the Serbian League. Yes, he would. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to watch because I, it is a stacked rookie class, and some of the ones that are competing are in, in tough places to get noticed, as we pointed out with Towns. Yeah. So it's going to be – it could be a, the year of the sleeper, too. Yeah, the I year, see that. The, the year that some guy comes out of nowhere because he's got more of a shot, and, you know, you never know. One thing I do love about this rookie class, and it's, we're kind of getting off subject a little, but I don't know how many stars there are in this rookie class, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of really good role players and starters. I mean, you look at guys like Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker. I mean, even if you even go down farther, DeLon Wright, Justin Anderson, I don't know if these guys are going to be stars, but I love them as, you know, quality starters. I think there might be a couple stars at the top, Towns, Russell, Moutier. But, I mean, other than that, I feel like there's just going to be a lot of really solid role players, and not a lot of drafts have that, not as many as you would think. 
I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have to buy a league pass again this year. Dude. I just gotta do it. I'm gonna DVR like 20 games. Oh How can you live without it? <laughs> yeah. I I what, what have you been doing? <laughs> I'm no, going I buy to it be, every year. I just. I'm like going to be reason. locked on the Orlando Magic this year. Oh my oh god! god. You're gonna be watching oh. so much Magic. <laughs> oh my god! I hate Scott Skiles as a coach. He's one probably my. Right, it's up there in the pantheon with me of the my least favorite coaches I've ever been through the NBA. He's, he's going to be good for that team though for a couple of years until he and, until they out. start hating him. Yeah, and then and then it's just going to go to crap. But you know, what's that? Whatever. I just as long as uh, as uh, Franco gets in there for fifteen minutes a game, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the, the godfather of basketball at this point in time. I uh, wrote an article today about, about Ty Lawson and the Houston Rockets. And mm-hmm. God, I feel like we've you know beaten this dead horse into the ground with Ty Lawson. But he kind of had some, some interesting things to say. He, he touched on um, you know texting James Harden about getting himself to Houston. He talked about his, his stint in rehab and really seeing people go through you know kind of the, the ups and downs of being in rehab and, and being forced to go to rehab and and then he touched on Steph Curry a little bit, talking about you know guys really need to make Steph Curry work, and and that's maybe a way to get his offense to slow down. Even though you know Ty played against Steph Curry in the playoffs, he averaged Steph twenty four points and nine point three assists. But is there anything to any of this that that piques anybody's interest with Ty Lawson and the, and the Rockets? I think the Rockets are you know a, a team that could easily win the whole thing this They're year. They're an intriguing team, aren't they? I don't know how good defensively they'll be. Um, but they'll certainly, because Ty does not help your team, does not help your team defensively. Well, that was the whole point of this article, wasn't it? Yeah. That he said Steph Curry, quote, I'm reading it right here, he wasn't really working at the other end during the playoffs. <laughs> so Ty's pretty much saying he's coming in and he's going to make Steph Curry, you know, actually work on defense, which is totally not true. No. Because if you watch the Warriors, they had the number one defense all year long. That doesn't happen if you don't have five guys out there working their butts off on the defensive end. And I think Steph had said even last year something that he he liked to body Ty Lawson on defense, and he felt he could bother Ty by being physical with him, which is kind of interesting. And I found it. I, I just saw some people on Twitter saying, "Oh, Ty Lawson, why he's texting guys about getting out of Denver?" And look, players talk to other players. There's yep. you know, we work for separate websites, some of us, you know, and Matt or Matt. Adam, you write for a few different websites, and you're talking to all sorts of guys. Like, guys talk to guys, and you, you know, that's part of the game. And, and of course, you'd want to team up with guys. I kind of see Ty. I think Ty is in a, a really good place for him. I think that he was, you know, cast as kind of miscast in Denver by ownership, by management. And I think that he's in a, in a place where he's really going to shine. I think he's in a, a spot where he can just be himself and kind of be out of the way a little bit, but also a guy that's going to be able to take some pressure off of that Houston offense and, and take a load onto himself and is going to make them a lot more difficult to guard. And I, I, again, wouldn't be surprised if Houston went very far in the playoffs this year. The, on, the on-court product that the Rockets have assembled, I think, is, is phenomenal. I think it's underrated. I think there's a reason they were the second seed, even though they missed the, all three of their big men missed significant time last year. Um, I think Ty Lawson fits very naturally to him. I think defenders uh, at point guard aren't as crucial to your overall team defense as other positions, so I think that's not. I think that might be overblown. Um, so everything about the encore stuff, and of course I've said this on Twitter a million times. Demo's my boy. I love that dude. I want the Nuggets to get him. The Lithuanian connection, Arturis, Tommy Balsitas. I want them to recruit that guy over <laughs> here. Um, that being said, they're kind of the anti-Nuggets. What have we talked about with the Nuggets for the last month? 
chemistry, leadership in the rocker room, getting the right guys about them. We haven't really talked about how the on-court product fits together. The Rockets' on-court product fits together phenomenally. Do you really think that Ty Lawson, Dwight Howard, and James Harden are going to be able to handle whatever terrible thing comes their way in the playoffs where they have to overcome adversity? They did last year, so maybe I don't. Maybe we're overrating those types of things, but I, I, the West is tough, and I just don't think they have the mental toughness to, to go through four series. I think we might be overrating them, but I think it's more important when you're – not in the playoffs, like the Nuggets, to have those things yeah, than it is sure. if you're the Rockets just on the cusp <laughs> of it. You can kind of get around not having, you know, the same leadership and, you know, that we've been talking about the Nuggets need to have. That on-court product that the Rockets have, I think, is phenomenal. They have everything. Yeah. They really, you talk about the Warriors and how uh, the Warriors are more so this, but they're very versatile and they can beat you any different way. The, the, Cleveland played the opposite style of what the Warriors wanted to do. The Warriors still won. I think, yeah. I think uh, the Rockets are this way as well in that they've got such versatile big men. James Harden can't be guarded. If you screw up a possession for 20 seconds, you give it to him, and he's going to score every other time anyway, which is phenomenal you know, points per possession. So I think that team's underrated, actually, as an on-court product. Uh, it's, it's all about how you know, the, thing, the wheel's falling off for them or, or just not having the mental toughness, really. Uh, to get over the hump. That's, that's kind of what I felt about the Clippers the last couple of years was that they broke down mentally, and when the game was on the line, they didn't make the plays that were necessary. And well, I, I can see that with the Rockets. Well, they definitely did that against the Rockets last year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, was, uh, that was a breakdown. Um, I, I, I'll say that when he's talking about guarding Steph, I've, I've talked to Adam about this, and, and you know, of course, me and my 90s memories, but... <laughs> Mark Jackson, when he was talking about the way he would defend Steph Curry, was very 90s. They would just knock you on your ass. And they, it, would, it would be been in there. You could do things to a point guard back then. You can't do now. Guarding a point guard is, I mean, not even a point guard, but guarding someone who can shoot like Steph Curry is almost one of the most impossible things you can do now because of the rules and the way he shoots. The com- combination of the two I don't know if you can harass Steph Curry enough or make him work on the defensive end enough to compensate for that. I I think that's a fallacy because the NBA, you're legislated out of that now. There's no way you can do it. No hand checking, you know. You're, you can't do... You can't clothesline a guy when yeah. he's going up for a layup. Yeah, it's, you can't Anthony Mason someone into the stanchion. You know, it's, uh, it, it's just one of those things. You can't do that anymore. The hand-checking thing is only half the equation, though. The other half is that you can't have a big guy just standing under the hoop waiting for you. Yep. The big guys have to check in and out, and then and yeah. they have to guard shooters now on the perimeter because your center now can hit the... You know, the well, they changed point. a lot of the defensive rule. You can allow... You, you, they, you didn't... You, zone defense used to be an automatic illegal defense call. Every time they, they would be out of the, out of you know even either in the lane or they would be just guarding a zone and not uh, a player, you would get bam an illegal defense. You can do that now. You know that has changed so much of the NBA. It's just it's not the same. That's why big guys don't matter as much anymore. But as far as guarding uh, Steph goes, it's just it, you can't do it the way people think you can do it anymore. Well, There's other you, ways to do it. I'll tell you have to, how you have to guard Steph. And uh, the Cavs did this for the first couple games well. The Grizzlies did this for two games well. Is you uh, you double them. You send a double coming off screens and you force them to give it up. The problem was the Warriors had such good 
ball handlers and such good decision makers, he would give it off to Draymond Green, and Draymond Green would be able to drive the ball and make the right decision. So, I mean, they had the right idea, but the Warriors just had so many good role players that any defense you tried to throw at them, they had some counter for it. I'm really excited to see the Warriors this year and just, you know, I, can they do what they did last year? Can they take everybody's best shot this year? There's nothing that says that they can't, right? I mean, they have, like Harrison, you just called it. They have the depth. They have the playmakers. They have the ability. And I just, I, I love seeing teams trying to load up and do it again. You hear that old Pat Riley thing, the, what is it, the theory of wanting more or the mm-hmm. greed of wanting more. and. Mm-hmm. You want to see, is Harrison Barnes going to get his new contract? Is he going to be happy if he goes into the season without that contract? And that was a reason why I liked seeing Fareed get his deal last year because I didn't, that's something that you take off the plate. It's out of the equation. You know, Can the Warriors handle that adversity that's going to come at them when the Milwaukee Bucks, the Nets, the Nuggets, all these teams are going to give them their best effort because it's the Warriors, it's the champs. You know, Can they repeat and do what they did last year? Two quick stories about the Warriors. One of them is I think they were down two games to one in the finals, uh, yeah. and, and uh, there was a story about how Steph Curry went out and hit golf balls at the driving range in between games. <laughs> Just like not a care in the world. And the second one is Ron Adams talking about Somebody asked him after, this, you know, after they had won. They said, when did you know we won? And he said something like, game three. It's like, you lost that one. Yeah, but we figured it out in the fourth <laughs> quarter, and I just knew we had it. It's like, that team, they, I know that they, had, they lost two games in two different series, but they had everything in control the entire season. They won so effortlessly, mm-hmm. and I just think it's going to be the same way this year. And the argument kind of against it is, well, they didn't face this team without a healthy point guard and this guy and that guy. Would it have mattered? You know? and, I, and that's know. What, I think the Spurs, a healthy Spurs team would have given them some trouble because but, you know, they would have figured out something on them. But that's what hopefully we're going to find out this year, and what hopefully, they're going to be able yeah. to prove to people is but it I, doesn't I, matter. If you I, repeat, that's big. I think the Spurs are going to fall off this year because I don't think the LaMarcus Aldridge experiment is going to go the way people think it does because both Marcus Aldridge requires the ball. He's not as known as a distributor. He's uh, not very Spursy. <laughs> he's not, he's yes. Not. And in order to weigh, in order to play the way you need to play with him, you need to do uh, basically a Duncan Robinson thing, which that kind of offense has not been basically valid in the NBA outside of the Grizzlies forever. I want to see. I want to see the Pelicans get some more help for Anthony Davis too. I'd like to see them be really good. They're, he's going to have his decade. Let's let's hold it <laughs> off for like another year or so. so. It's coming, you know. I mean, there's don't I, crown him. I want to. Yeah. I want to see like what team. Like twenty one years old. Twenty two. Yeah, but I, I want to see those teams. Like what teams going to like the Warriors? They didn't come out of nowhere, but I think know, the Pelicans they might came take a fast. big step this year. New coach opening up the system. I mean, Monty Williams had a pretty pathetic offense last year. They should have been a lot better. Um, Who did they add? They didn't really, they re-upped. They didn't really they re-upped, add man. anybody. They yeah. extended Oshik. Uh, I don't really know if they did anything else. But Re-up. They got everybody. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting. But Well, guys, I think we went over just about everything. Uh, final point I want to bring up, and I, I mentioned this the other day. When I, when I left Media Day, I, I, you know, typically when we were covering the team, you had the Denver Post, you had the Rocky Mountain News. The Rocky Mountain News fell off, and that was kind of a reason that I wanted to start blogging was to try to bring more attention to the Nuggets and I've just found I think the last few years there's so much more Nuggets coverage you can go to a bunch of different websites you can find podcasts and to me I think the media around the Nuggets I think Adam with you coming in Harrison with you coming in Jeff with you being there 
with all these other guys, with Matt Moore being down here now, you got Dempsey. I think the Nuggets media is a lot smarter and a lot more basketball-centric than it's ever been. Yeah. And to me, I think that, that that just breeds better content for the team, better articles, better questions at these press conferences, at scrums, and there's there's a lot of different stuff. So I just, I'm proud to be a part of a Nuggets media that I think is one of the smarter media teams at least in Denver, and I don't know about other markets that much, but I, I just really enjoy it, and I enjoy reading your guys' work, and I think all of us are, are helping push the envelope to be better, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of making something really nice, at least as far as, as reading Nuggets content. I agree. I agree as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, even Adam well at Media Day, you know, just <laughs> hammering on the coach day one about what's your pick-and-roll coverage, and just stuff like Conundrum. that. I mean, I think it just it, it pushes the envelope and it makes you know it makes for more interesting content. No, I, I agree. It. It, just, it it fell off when the Nuggets had their peak year under Melo. The Rocky went under in two, February two thousand nine, and you know it, they lost a lot. They lost a lot of valuable coverage, and everything went Bronco centric. You know. Well, I think what's kind of changed is as kind of the coverage is moving away from the traditional paper, it's going to people like us who live and breathe hoops. And, you know, we don't have to really worry about what the Broncos are doing or, you know, what our editor tells us to do or what, you know, any other factor that's outside of basketball. We can just focus on basketball and write about what we love to watch. So I think that's where it's really going and that's why it's gotten the coverage has gotten so good around here and I, I just like being able to go and read like niche articles about certain scenarios or certain players or something and i don't know it's fun but harrison thanks for joining us man we appreciate it adam thank you as well thanks for coming down jeff you had to be here you're part of the podcast so. <laughs> nate thanks for coming down <laughs> you got it <laughs> all right guys well we appreciate it and we'll see everybody next, next week, week.